Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. You know what's really funny? Do, do your notes have the right date on them? They do? Mine don't. It's kind of funny. The Lord's like, preach this message next week. No, I'm kidding. Um, we got a ton of scripture to look at today, which is probably fitting if we're speaking about the authority and power of God's word. We should probably open the word. Um, but uh, the reason I say that, they'll, they'll all be up on the screen. So uh, you guys can follow along in your own Bible if you'd like to. Uh, a couple different versions that I'll be using based on uh, whatever verse we're quoting. But, uh, but they'll be up on the screen for you to follow along. And then um, I put uh, like 98% of the scriptures in, in your notes. So you can take them home and look at them. And what was that one that he mentioned? Um, when he used this many, I like to be able to hand them to you. I got here this morning, and Leo asked me if it was snowing outside. I said, no, why do you ask? He said, because you have notes to go along with your sermon. I said, Always keeping it fresh, Leo. I love it. Um, let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you uh, that it's alive, that it's true, and that it carries authority and power, as we'll see today. Father, I pray, God, that, uh, that, Lord, we would leave today with greater faith, hope, and love because of what is revealed through your Holy Spirit to each of us. So, God, take even the words right now of your written word, and God, help us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, some of the, the, especially the points at the end of this sermon, but this... Uh, um, kind of outline or idea actually came from an old Derek Prince sermon that I heard and had notes from, and uh, um, I kind of reworked the whole thing with, uh, with Nate's flavor, but it really helped me, and so I hope it helps you. Uh, but we've, maybe you've heard a lot of sermons, maybe you haven't, about, um, about the importance of God's Word. Uh, I think there was a season in, in church history not too long ago in the uh, early 2000s probably especially, where there were several churches that were being accused of, of watering down the word of God. And I know it still happens, you know, um, it'll, it'll happen until Jesus returns. But several churches, you know, major churches have been accused of watering down the word of God or uh, saying, or just, uh, we, we call it pick and choose theology, right? Like, well, yeah, we really believe this one, but that one, eh, the validity's questionable and kind of pick and choose. And, um, and, and so there, there, how, did, how did we get to that point? There's prob- that's probably like nine other sermons. But I think the point is that the word of God has always been important and will always be important. Not just important, necessary, foundational, critical, crucial. Pick your adjective that means important, right? That makes you go, oh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter which word you use. It's it's so necessary, and we're going to see here in a minute that it's not a new idea, that Jesus himself leaned on the word of God as necessary for his ministry. If Jesus needed the word of God in his ministry, 
in life, if Jesus needed the word of God to come against the devil, then we definitely do. So somebody say amen, and then we can move on. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, specifically talking about the authority and power of God's word, but I'm almost going to break it down into uh, Old and New Testament. So, so how did the Old... What authorities the Old Testament have, what authorities the New Testament have, and power and, and whatnot. And then we'll end with kind of these eight effects or uh, things that the Word of God will bring into your life with, with conditions. So um, here we go. Um, the Word of God, that phrase, is used to describe two different things in Scripture, right? Most of you probably know what this is. One of them is Jesus himself. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, right? He is the Word made flesh, or what some people refer to as the, the personal Word of God or personified Word of God. Uh, but then there's also the Word of God that's, that's literally words, the written Word of God, right? The Scripture, the Bible, okay? And what's really cool is that... I knew that was going to happen. We'll just finish it off. Um, What's really ha- cool is that when, when you see the connection between the phrase, the word of God, meaning Jesus and the word of God being the, the logos or the written word of God, it, it shows me that I can't, that they're, because they're related, I can't properly have a right relationship with Jesus unless I have a right relationship with the word of God, the written word of God. It's not the same relationship. Don't misunderstand me. We do not worship Father, Son, and Holy Bible, but we, but we do have to have a right standing relationship with God's word in order to have a right standing relationship with the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and vice versa. Does that make sense? So if they're fundamentally connected, then a problem that we have with the written word of God translates to a problem that we have with Jesus. A problem that we have with Jesus will translate to a problem that we have with the written word of God because they're connected. Okay? I don't think it's an accident there's so many different phrases and so many different words that the Father could have chosen, but he chose word. And so that's what we run with. When we talk about authority, we're talking about the author. It's the same word, right? Look at the beginning of the word authority. Author. Okay? So we say like, well, who, where's the authority in the word of God come from? It comes from the author, God. So to question the authority of scripture, or to question its, its prominence and governance over your own life is to question God himself because he is the author, right? Is this making sense? Okay. Um, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is about to give the great commission, but one of the things that he says is really cool, and I love connecting these things to scripture, right? He stands before him and he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That might be 18. It's not in your notes. Uh, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and preach the gospel, okay? But so if all authority in heaven and earth had been given to Jesus, who gave it to him? The Father. But how do we know that? Well, we know that Jesus proceeded from the Father, right? We know that Jesus is God made flesh. Hebrews 1 tells us that. We know that, that Jesus, Jesus himself said to Philip, if you, have seen the fa- if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, meaning that he is God in the physical form, and so his authority had been given to him so that he could give it away. And it's amazing to see that the the only reason I bring that up here is that Jesus himself recognized God, his Father, as the final authority, and the same one by which he was able to quote Scripture by he knew the authority that it carried, 
okay? All right, let's start by looking at the Old Testament or what the New Testament sometimes refers to as the law and the prophets. When you see that, it's basically referring to the Old Testament. When we read the New Testament, in the New Testament, they talk about Scripture. Or they're referring to the Old Testament. That's what they had. They didn't walk around with the same Bible that we had, um, which is really cool for us, right? We have a lot of benefits that we should take advantage of. Um, but let's look at some proofs that the Old Testament really is true, it has authority, uh, and is powerful. First of all, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is a classic pick-and-choose verse, right? We're like, oh, yeah, the word of God is so useful for teaching and training in righteousness. It's amazing. It's so good for those two things, <laughs> right? And the Lord's like, what? <laughs> what about the other things? No, yeah, but I mean, like, nobody wants to be rebuked or corrected, so we'll just use the other things. Anyways, but all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. So what uh, Paul was doing here when he was writing to Timothy, when he's saying all Scripture, it's not an accident, okay? There's, there's a group, of, a highly influential group of leaders in the day called the Sadducees, right? Sadducees are the people that didn't believe in the, they're like the Pharisees, but they didn't believe in the resurrection, okay? And so uh, that was one of the differences. There were several other differences. This is the main one that we're going to talk about today. And one of the things that they didn't believe, they didn't believe and basically, they didn't believe that the entire Old Testament of the law, they didn't believe that it was Scripture. They believed in the Pentateuch, or the first five books, okay, they, they, which are included in Scripture. But they just believed that that alone was Scripture, and the other things they could use as it fit their own theology, okay, which was wrong. Okay? And so by Paul stepping up and, and saying things like all Scripture, he's saying, hey, Nahum is just as powerful as Deuteronomy, Carries the same authority and power as Deuteronomy. That's what he's saying. He's saying the book of Micah, he goes, you could turn to Zechariah, but you also turn to Genesis. They both have the same author. And he's, he's, he's basically uh, bringing them all on the same plane, saying it's all scripture, it's all God breathed. That word breathe is the same word for spirit. So it's actually Paul writing and say that every single bit of the Old Testament was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes? Okay. All scripture means all scripture. It's really good. All right. Um, it was written, and you guys know this, and I've heard, you know, this is a, it can be a stumbling point for a lot of people. It was written by flawed men. Raise your hand if you're a flawed person. Mm-hmm. About 70%. That's great. That's good. <laughs> no, that's really good. It tells me a lot that we were just a great church. We we're only 70% flawed. Or 100% flawed on staff, but 70%. Um, if it's written by flawed vessels, how can it be like the, the perfectly inspired word of God? That's a valid question that you should ask. Um, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, everybody say no prophecy, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter writes here, and he's saying that there never has been and there never will be a valid, private, or special interpretation of Scripture, okay? Meaning, like what cults do today. 
cults write their own scripture, or they take the word of God and actually change it, right? Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a Bible that they call the New World Translation, I believe, okay? And they're like, it's the same as your Bible. It's not. I've read it, not the whole thing, but the parts that were changed. Do I need to say anything else? The parts that were changed, <laughs> right? So we got to take the word of God and we're like, oh, that doesn't fit. Let's erase that. Oh, that doesn't fit. Let's add that. Oh, we don't like that. That's that. That's called mixture, and it's just, and it's, it's horrible, okay? And so, there, but, there's, but what they'll do is they'll rewrite something with their own words, not inspired by the Holy Spirit, call it scripture, and Peter's saying, nope, prophecy doesn't, prophecy or proclaiming truth, or, or in this case, writing of truth, it doesn't originate with man. It originates with God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that when, when these prophets wrote the Old Testament, when these men wrote the Old Testament, they could not and did not do it under any other inspiration than the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the Bible was written through flawed vessels, and a lot of people say, like, well, the Bible was written by all these guys that were a whole bunch of sinners. And I'm like, I actually think that that actually, uh, can, that it proves even further the validity of Scripture. Why? These guys had their worst, think of David wrote most of the Psalms. He had most of his worst sins recorded for everyone to see for all time. Can you imagine? Let's just peel back the layers of your life, and we'll pull out the worst sins. Some of y'all just went. Just peel out the worst sins, and we're just going to write them down and publish them for the world, right, forever. And you'd be like, no, well, Dave, these guys, have you guys ever read scriptures or, you know, religious writings of cult leaders, do you know what they do? They either lie about their own sin, they call sin righteousness, and they call righteousness sin. They cover up truth. Their goal in their religious writings is to make you believe that there's something they are not. Where these writers of the Old Testament are like, we suck. That's how you know it's not us that's writing all these amazing, inspired, timeless, alive, helpful things. It's not us. We're not that good. That's what they're saying. It actually proves the validity that, that, that they lay themselves open and it's just like, think of the Israelites. Man, you all come down on the Israelites sometimes and you read, you're like, how could they, how could they walk away from God again? And the Lord's like, okay, I might not send a plague every time you walk away from me, but... Maybe you should be more thankful for the new covenant that you live under, <laughs> right? Like, anyways, all right. I digress. Um, Psalm 12, verse 6, it actually tells us how flawed men could write the. I had that question. How could somebody who's, especially in the Old Testament, where it was difficult to have your sin atoned for, you had to kill an animal, <laughs> Right? I mean, there was, there was things that had to be done in order for your sin to be atoned for, and then Jesus came as the final atonement, right? But before that, there was work. I'm like, how could these guys just carrying around this weight, how could they ride it? How could they even hear the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit only came on people for a time and then left, right? That's why David said, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why did he pray that? Well, because he could take his Holy Spirit from him. Psalm 12, 6, it says, and the words of the Lord are flawless. Everybody say flawless. 
like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Cool, you were talking about refining gold this morning. So the way that they refine gold, listen to this, the way they refine gold, they don't do this like this anymore, it's similar, but they'd build a clay pot, right? And they'd light this really, really hot fire inside of it, and they'd put the metal inside of it and heat it up, and then you go through a process of pulling out the impurities, and then if you want to get it even purer, you keep doing it. Well, to do it seven times, which is what this scripture says, like gold refined seven times, seven the number of perfection, but to do it seven times was to really achieve uh, the purest form of purity. That's redundant, I know. But, but, it, but it was what they did if they want, it was a lot of work, but it's what you did if you wanted to get the metal or gold, whatever it was, in its purest form. And so in this analogy here that in Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are flawless like gold refined seven times. The clay pot are the men who are writing scripture, okay? They're clay pots, right? We know from scripture that we are clay pots, okay? It's a clay pot. The fire that's inside is the Holy Spirit, Okay? And the metal is the word, okay? So the word comes from the Lord into the clay pot. It gets refined by the Holy Spirit, and then out comes pure gold. That's what the writer here is saying. This is how the flawed men could write infallible things, by the power of the Holy Spirit, burning off all of the dross that was in them, all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the flesh, so that they they didn't become perfect, but they could hear and then write exactly what was needed without error. Amen? All right. John 10, 35, it says, if he called that, now this, I hope this doesn't confuse you, but this verse that I'm going to read is in the middle of a larger context, and there's an argument being made here, and I'm just taking a point of the argument to make a point. That's it. So follow me. I hope this makes sense. It says, if he called them gods unto whom, unto whom the, the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, right? So he's just setting himself up for an argument, a point he's about to make. Okay, but well, I'm not going to go into that, okay? But what he's doing here is John is validating right here in this, in this prequel to his point that he's about to make, he, he's validating the fact that the word of God came directly to the men who wrote and not the other way around, right? So God, the, the men didn't of themselves kind of work up some sort of inspiration to write things down. John says, no. He goes, obviously, since the word came from God to these men, and obviously, since Scripture cannot be broken, right? He's, these are assumptions that have, or, or things that are well-known already, which he's setting up to make a point. All I wanted to do was point out those two things, that the writer of the New Testament had a almost sarcastic, like, well, of course these two things are true. And so, and then he goes on to make his point. I probably just confuse you. Just ignore it and just go on to the next one. If it confuses you, just forget it. I thought it was cool. I saw it. I put it in here. Maybe I don't know how to explain it. All right, here we go. Moving on. Just going to look real quick at the power. That was the authority, right? We're looking at authority of the Old Testament. Now we're looking at the power. Matthew 4, verses 3 through 11. I'm just going to read it. The tempter came to him and said, I'm sorry, real quick, i got to set it up. Jesus just got baptized by John the Baptist, and uh, he gets baptized, and heaven opens up, and a dove descends on him, and the voice from heaven said, a voice, actually, that you could hear, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. So he gets up. The Bible says he gets up, dries off. 
the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Yes, that is what happened. Um, and then Matthew 4, 3 through 11, the tempter came to him. The devil comes to Jesus after 40 days of not eating. Uh, and he says, if you are the son of God, remember G- God just said, this is my son. And the devil's like, well, if you're the son of God, does that sound familiar? Remember in the garden? Well, did God really say? Right? He's always going to get you to question. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, or it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all of this I'll give to you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You know, the devil always going to start by getting you to question the word of God or question truth. He's not going to come out and just be like, that's wrong. He's going to get you to question it. It has to start in you. If it doesn't start in you, it won't sustain in you. And he knows that. So if he gets you to question the word of God or question truth, uh, just like he did here, if, if you are the son of God. Notice he said that every time. If you are, if you are, if you are. Uh, but then he, then he moves on to getting you to eventually deny it altogether. It starts with questioning and moves to denial, moves to full denial. Uh, and, but remember, if we deny the written word of God, we're denying the word made flesh, Jesus. So, but here's the thing that's interesting here about the power of the word of God. The devil had no rebuttal, argument, or answer to Jesus quoting Deuteronomy and Psalms. All he did is quote Deuteronomy and Psalms. I don't know how many of y'all use Deuteronomy and Psalms for your declarations, but Jesus used it to fight the devil on 40 days after, of no food. I've not done 40. I attempted it and got sick. Not like Pastor Glenn. <laughs> but, but, and, but I know many who have, and they're hungry on like every day. Like day one's hard, day two hard, day 38 is hard, day 39 is hard. And day 40 in the desert, and the devil comes and says, well, if you're the son of God, just turn this rock into bread. Now, Jesus could have been like, I am the son of God. And I will demonstrate my power to turn this rock into bread. But he didn't. And the reason, I, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is to show us the power of the word of God. All he did was say, it is written. That's all he did. It is written. And the devil couldn't do anything about it. All right. Here we go. Ha ha. The word is your weapon against the devil. Ephesians 6.17 even calls the, the word a sword, right? You can wield it if you know it. All right, a couple more proofs here. Actually, let's talk about the, the validity of the, um, well, we'll do a couple more of the Old Testament and we'll move into the New. All right, Matthew 5.17-18, through 18. all right, Jesus says, uh, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets or the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And what's really interesting about this verse, if you have the King, anybody reading a King James, a pure word? Yeah, nice. That's good. So it says, it says not one jot or tittle will be removed. And you read that and you're like, what's a jot? What's a tittle? You know, unless you speak Hebrew, you don't know what that is. But, he, but and I don't, I just looked it up. But the, uh, a, a jot and a tittle, a jot's like the smallest Hebrew alphanumeric or alpha character, right? Letter, right? And a tittle is this little tiny mark that they put on it or next to it to differentiate it from another letter that looks just like it, right? So Jesus says, he picks the smallest little marks in Hebrew writing and says, not even those things are going away until heaven and earth disappear. Matthew 22, 31 through 32, excuse me, uh, some, you know, Sadducees come to Jesus with a question about the resurrection of the dead. They try to trip him up because, uh, remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus sees their intent. He says, but, um, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? This is Jesus talking to the Sadducees. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the living but the dead. Now, he's making a point about their trying to trip him up. But look what he says. He says, have you not heard what God said to you? But God didn't say it to them. God said it to Moses. So how can he take this verse from Exodus and say, didn't you hear what God said to you? But he didn't say it to them. He said it to Moses. Why can he do that? Because the word's alive. Because it's just as valid when he said it to Moses as it is when Jesus says it to them as it is for us today. Right? Jesus is using this as thousands of years removed from when the Lord spoke this to Moses. And he says, don't you know what God said to you? Love that. All right. Moving on. Jesus believed and proclaimed and obeyed the scripture. His own life, death, burial, resurrection fulfilled, I don't even know how many prophecies. It's, it's, it's unreal. Something like 18 times in the New Testament when Jesus does something or when something happens around the life of Jesus, we're told, and this happened or so and such and such happened to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's almost statistically and scientifically impossible for the New Testament to not be true because of how many prophecies that were prophesied thousands of years before were just fulfilled. Some of these prophecies are still being fulfilled. John 14, 25 through 26, moving into a couple about, you know, you ask the question, well, that's, that's good for the Old Testament. What's, authority, what's the authority behind the New Testament? John 14, 25 through 26 says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate or the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So it's really funny. The authority behind the New Testament is the exact same authority that's behind the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit. It didn't change. See, the whole, when Jesus is sitting here in the upper room with his, with his apostles, who would go on to write a massive chunk of the New Testament, he says to you, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to do two things for you, okay? He says, whatever I didn't teach you, he'll teach you. And whatever I taught you that you forgot and you will forget, he'll remind you. That's what he's here for. And they took that, and the Holy Spirit was with them, and the Holy Spirit did inspire them to write, you know, mainly the, the first four books of the New Testament, what we call the Gospels. What's really cool is that when you read the Gospels, you know that there's some similar stories in all four, but do you realize, like, there is a large time span that the Gospels cover, right? If I were to take 
one of you or just anybody, even if you're a writer, and be like, hey, could you just quickly write down every necessary event from the last three and a half years? Could you do that? And actually, Matthew, if you could just include like 14 generations of genealogy in yours also, that would be really helpful. And, and you, do you know what I mean? Like, and, and then you sit down and you're like, okay. And you have, oh, by the way, no computer, no phone, no pictures, uh, no encyclopedias, no, your kids are like, what's an encyclopedia? Is that like Wikipedia? Um, and, uh, and, but, but you can't use any of that. If you could just do it by memory, that would be, that would be fantastic. Don't mess up. Good job. You know, that, but, so you're like, man, these guys must have had just steel traps for brains, right? No. No. They had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How, did, how were they able to recount these things? What was, how could they recount what was said? There's conversations recorded. They wrote these things way after the conversations happened. So how are they the infallible truth? Because the Holy Spirit did what Jesus said he was going to do and reminded them of everything that they needed to know that they forgot and taught them everything that they didn't know from Jesus. Isn't that cool? All right. The nature of the word of God, just a couple things here, and then we'll get to our eight effect. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active. Everybody say alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God does that, the written word of God. Your soul and spirit are, are often in contrast with each other. Did you know that? <laughs> Write that down. It's not in your notes. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 even says, it says that the soulish man can't receive the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned or basically understood by the Holy Spirit, right? Somebody's like, oh, I can't understand spiritual things. Well, you need the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual things. It takes the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. What's really cool about that is that the Word of God can actually penetrate your soul. It can actually penetrate that, that, little, that little area where it's really, where there's rub and it's really hard. Like, oh, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then one day you get it. How many of you read scripture and you're like, I read that passage 30 times and today I understood it. How many of you have that happen? Yeah, it happens to me all the time. That's the power of the word of God. It's in its nature. It's alive and it's active. All right, back page in your notes. If you're following along, you're probably already there. But uh, I want to give you eight effects or eight things that the word of God can give us, okay? But what we will see from the word of God, uh, it, it really depends on how, okay, listen, what we receive from the word of God depends on how we receive the word of God. Did you hear that? Okay, the what is determined by the how. The Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, they received the word of God as truth, as God's voice, and then the word was at work within them because of how they received it. It says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, you Thessalonian church, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Okay? So because the Thessalonian church received the word of God given to them by Paul and others as truth, it was able to have effect and work in their lives. Do you see that? If they would have received it as word, just man's word, or just straight up rejected that it was God's word, it would not have been able to work and take effect in their life in the same way that it did, okay? 
Thanks, Nate. That was good. Thank you, Mia. Cleared that up. Um, <clears throat> number one, here's some things that the Word of God brings. The first thing, the Word of God brings faith. Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's beautiful. Have you ever said to yourself, I need more faith? Oh, I just need more faith. I need to increase my faith. Read the Word. Number two, it brings salvation. James 1.18 says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created or for all creation. The gospel that, we, that is uh, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, right? For by grace you are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, Ephesians, right? Uh, and not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast, but the, the information that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ himself is found in the written word of God. It, it brings salvation. The Bible doesn't save you, but the information in it, right? The gospel is power unto salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number three, it brings nourishment. All right, 1 Peter 2, 2. It says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. They got a funny story about this verse. It's in, it's in my book. If you haven't read it, you can read it concerning Francis Chan in this verse, but um, I'm not going to tell it this morning. But what's really funny about, or what's really cool about this verse, about the word of God bringing nourishment, this is actually one of the most powerful things to me, of these powerful things in this entire list of eight things. And there's some big things, right? We just covered faith and salvation. Those seem pretty life-changing. Uh, but nourishment, nourishment is actually really big, and here's why. Because often for me, I feel nothing when I read scripture, okay? Some of you might say like, oh, well, you, you read scripture and it's just like, oh, it just changes me. Oh, I just love the word. I feel so empowered and so alive and I just feel so changed. Every time I open it up, it just reads itself to me, right? You've heard these testimonies and you just get angry at the people, right? You're just like, shut up, right? No, but, it's that, but most, most of the time they're not lying, you know? And that, that, I've, had that, I've had that happen, right? I think sometimes people are probably blowing smoke or whatever, but it doesn't matter. What, what, I mean, it doesn't matter for you. It matters for them, but it doesn't matter for you. Um, but what's cool about nourishment is that, like, when you open up the Word and somebody told me, I don't read the Word because I never remember what I read. And I'm like, okay. Well, I heard Bill Johnson say this one time. He goes, you know what? I don't remember what I had for breakfast last Wednesday, but I remember that it nourished me. And it's just true. Also, here's, some of the, here's another thing. Think about nourishment that the Lord showed me last night. Nourishment can be really enjoyable, right? Like sitting down in front of like a nice steak dinner, right? Sitting down in front of like chicken fried steak or just really any shape of steak, right, Mike? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't matter what shape it's in. We can, do, we can eat steak in anything. So it's just, but there's like, and, the, and then next to the steak is the food that food eats, like salad and, you know, green beans and things like that. But, or you can get nourishment without very much enjoyment, like when you have to eat kale and things like, right? Like raw kale. You don't like shakes? Or spinach and shakes. Kaylee eats spinach and shakes and stuff like that. I'm like, but I know it's good for me. I know. But, but here's the thing. It brings the same, we, our body needs it, but we didn't necessarily have this elation and enjoyment where we're eating like kale, oh my gosh, like, oh, this is so good, give me more, and barbecue sauce, like you can't, it's not the same, but your body, but your body's like, thank you. Do you guys see the, you, but, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? 
the nourishment that the word of God brings doesn't mean that you're going to have this like tangible, emotional response every time that you read the word of God, but it's good anyways. And you can't go wrong. People are like, I don't never know where to read. Just read. It doesn't matter. If it's alive and active, it's not like you're picking up the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the Bible, right? I don't know where to start. Start in the beginning. I don't know. Do whatever you want. I don't know. Somebody told me, I don't know where to start reading the Bible, so I just never start. I'm like, bro, it's amazing that you're alive. I'm like, when somebody puts food in front of you, do you know what to eat first? Or do you just eat? You know what I mean? All right, I'm done. I'm talking to myself, guys. All right, number four, clarity. Moving on. Clarity. It brings clarity. Psalm 119, uh, 1 through 30. Thank you, Jesus. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Uh, Number five, it brings physical healing. Like the word of God, physical healing. Did you hear that? Psalm 107, 17 through 20. Some become fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Listen, he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. And then Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, my favorite one. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. The words of God are life and health. Amen. Number six, the word of God brings victory over sin. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Worship team, come back up. Stay engaged, everybody. We've got a couple more. You know that this verse here, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? That applies for old persons as well, just so y'all know. Like, you're like, dang it, the word's not gonna work for me. No, it'll keep you on the on the straight and narrow as well. Number seven, the word of God brings sanctification or the 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 purifying work of God over time in our lives, right? Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 27, specifically in the context of husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Number eight, the word of God brings a spiritual mirror. James 1, 23 through 25 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, hear that again, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So the word of God provides like a mirror right in front of us so that we can see what's inside, so that we can see a reflection. We need that sometimes. We, need some, we, we, can't, have a, we can't have a haphazard or subjective view on what's right and wrong. This is very objective. This is, what, this is what's right and wrong. If we don't have it, we have nothing to measure off of. There's no bar. There's no measuring stick. There's, no, there's nothing to build from, okay? And it provides a spiritual mirror 
for those who listen to the word, especially, and do what it says. All right. Would you stand this morning? Hey, if you're here and you don't have a Bible and you need one, just talk to me afterwards and I'll give you one. We, we have plenty for that reason. We don't, every, we don't want anybody to not have a Bible. Man, we live in like Lakeway, Texas. Man, you got to have a Bible, right? There's no reason to not have one. Um, I've asked Pastor Glenn if he would uh, just lead uh, the ministry time here at the end, but I'm going to pray. And I just want to bless you guys. I just want to bless you all with, uh, with fresh courage to read the word of God. And I understand that some of y'all probably have wounds. You know, maybe you went to a church where if you didn't read it through in a year, you didn't get your name on a plaque and then people made fun of you. Or maybe you, you know, maybe you were, you're like, oh, I don't want to read it because I don't want to be religious. Yeah, I've been there too. Uh, But that's not actually a good response. Uh, You can read it without being religious about reading it. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the Word of God, right? Uh, maybe you were quoting the Word of God and it offended somebody, and so you're like, oh, I'm just staying away from that. It's just going to offend people. I'll tell you what, Jesus himself said he's going to be offensive. And, it's, and when he's the one that's being offensive, it's okay. When, when we are the ones that are being offensive in our flesh, we can grow, right? We can, we can learn how to be a little less offensive in our flesh. I'm learning that a lot. Timothy's helping me. And, uh, but, uh, but, but also if, if we're presenting Jesus and the offense is actually a Jesus, then we're just being ambassadors in the hands and feet. So if you were, if you were being an ambassador with the word and it offended someone, it's okay because that's what the word's going to do. It cuts, it divides, it draws lines in the sand. That's what you use your sword for. Okay. So I'm just going to bless us with just hopefully the, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Um, if there's anything maybe differently you need to do in approaching the Word of God, then I just encourage you to do it. Uh, but if you just want to just put your hands out, Holy Spirit, we just ask you, would you come right now? Father, even in these times of ministry, but God, would you just bring to our minds right now, God, as we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, would you bring to our mind, God, just a fresh view? Like, how do you look at your Word? Father God, I thank you that we just saw today that it carries authority, that it carries power, and that it carries real effects in our life when we receive it as truth. So Father, I pray, Lord, that any issue that any of us have with you would be dealt with so that we don't have an issue with your word, and any issue that any of us have with your word would be dealt with because it means we have an issue with you. So Father, help us, encourage us, bless us, God, as we continue to dig into your word daily. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.